You're listening to Kantar Australia's Bite-Sized Insights Podcast. A fortnightly 10-minute snapshot of insights helping brands and marketers better connect with consumers. Hello and welcome listeners to Kantar Australia Bite-Sized Insights. This is Fritz Fridland. Today I am joined by Denise Hamblin, who's National Sector Head for FMCG at Colmore Brunton, a Kantar company. And today we're going to talk about sensory research. Welcome, Denise. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is my favorite topic of all. This is a fascinating area of research. Super tasters, the intersection of biology, culture, and commerce. But let's start with the basics for our listeners. What is sensory science and how is it applied commercially? Um, Well, it is a really unique I guess part of the the research um, toolkit, sensory research is, and it really is a science. Um, It really, at at its most basic level, delves into how our senses connect to and interpret our environment and the stimuli kind of within that. So essentially, it's become a way of helping us design uh, the, the most ideal product for repeat purchase in market um, and really guarantee those maximum levels of consumer loyalty and that's why our our clients love it as well. Yeah. Can you give me an idea of what a typical study might look like, how that might be run and what we might find? Yeah, well there is a whole sort of, uh, lots of different sorts of tests that that we do run, anywhere from the really at the start of that innovation um, journey where we're looking for opportunities or we're looking for gaps in the market, all the way through to, I guess, monitoring quality of products that have been launched in market. So let me bring that to life a little little bit more. Um, at the start of the journey, you might be looking for those gaps. We might do a product tasting. Actually, we're doing one tomorrow. We kind of use a big table and, and we taste all of these products, either with consumers or sometimes with our clients, and we start to place them out on, on the table according to their sensory qualities or sensory attributes. And then we can start to understand where the market is a bit more saturated and where the market is a bit more open. And then we think about trends. Are they going to play into those open spaces? And that's when we know that we've kind of onto a good thing. So that's the, the landscaping part of it from a very strategic perspective. If it's a new category, we might go into research first with sensory qual. So it's kind of like a focus group, but we do dual moderation with the sensory researcher as well. And we'll be tasting product and we'll be kind of marking out our surveys um, and, and really looking for the language and the body language all around that. Uh, Next, then it might go into prototyping, so central location tests, and we have a number of sensory facilities that we're running hundreds of people through uh, a day um, to understand how people um, kind of like these products and how they fit in these bundles. Uh, We have expert trained panels. They're a very interesting bunch of people. These are our more the super tasters, like you mentioned before. Really, these are individuals that we're utilising almost like human instruments to profile products. And that can come in really handy when you might have things like new ingredients or, or substitute ingredients and you want the experience of the product to be the same. A little bit of home use testing and also training with our, with our clients as well so that they can do internal sensory um, activities at, at their workplace. And so that, you know, employees can get a better understanding whether it's from an IPD point of view or um, as well as perhaps, I guess, uh, connecting with consumers through advertising, understanding what it is that's going to um, connect them to that product. Is that the idea? 
Exactly. So what are the standout attributes? And, and even to the basics of, am I the right person to test this kind of product um, at work? So some of us have more sensitivity than others in various areas. So we, we often do a threshold test where we can really map our, our clients' palettes and we allocate them to a particular palette type so they know that when are the instances that they should be trying a product or not trying a product. And, and we've had some very interesting uh, client interactions in, in that space. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I would love to try that one day. I understand that sensory research can help understand some of the industry's biggest challenges right now. So whether around sustainability and waste or health and obesity, can you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I guess the, you know, we were reflecting the other day actually about the, the types of work that we have been doing over the last, say, year or so and how that might have been different um, to before. Uh, one of the areas is, is definitely health. Um, and in terms of diet, what we're seeing is a lot of um, consumers moving towards that kind of flexitarian type approach. And we're also looking at uh, a lot of our clients trying to limit waste. So the types of research we're doing in this, uh, these areas are, one, we're helping our clients uh, generate or, or create products that have a longer shelf life uh, so that you are reducing waste um, that way. They also might be looking at new or renovated products with more sustainable ingredients. So we're testing those as well and really making sure that they're still delivering to the consumer expectations. Um, to you know, continue that loyalty or continue the purchase of that product. And then, as you mentioned, with, with, with health from a, a, a salt or a sugar perspective, that's been another big focus area for, for us and for our clients. Really reducing those sugar levels um, in particular has been a, a big initiative. And so we, we look at the use of sweeteners or we look at dropping that sugar altogether and really doing that testing, the product testing, to see what is acceptable. I guess the, the really interesting thing that's come out of that is to see data over time through how um, palate preferences are evolving in that area as well. Mm. Can you tell me, yeah, how are, let's say, Australian palate preferences changing? We test with kids, we test with adults, and we have a pretty good feel for what the Aussie palette is, as an example. You know, we see this palette um, preference that's really influenced by the, the, the salty, bitter, umami flavour of Vegemite, the sourness of our butter, the crispness of, of different snacks, and the savoury flavour of well-cooked red meat, um, sweetness levels that are inherent in locally grown fruit, that sort of thing. So we, we feel that we, we understand the Australian palate and we understand where it's come from. However, we are seeing changes now. And it's really, I think, led by um, the, the millennials that we have been um, testing products with. And the kinds of things that we've been seeing is uh, not only a a drop in the, the preference for sweetness and a drop in the preference for saltiness, but we're also seeing a bit of a maturing of, of the palette in, in other ways. So, you know, wanting more natural colours because it's about more natural um, and less processed products that we want, about uh, stronger top notes in the aroma, signalling freshness, uh, crisp, crisper kind of fresher mouthfeels or crunchier products as well, signalling um, freshness. Um, more umami type flavours. Uh, I was looking through a Donahay uh, recipe book, the new recipe book during the week, and I tell you what, it's all about crunch and umami. So uh, certainly on trend. Yeah, I mean, I've read about how, for example, the um, Japanese palate and its cuisine is all about refinement and those umami flavours, for example, you know, quite subtle um, 
details in there. Can you tell me a little bit more about country by country differences? I mean, do you do do we do a lot of international work um, with the sensory unit here at Colmar Breton Kantar? We do actually, and the reason is, I guess, to your question, is that palettes. Um, develop over time and they develop based on the context of what's um, say around um, you know consumers in a in a market but also in terms of expectations and cultural type factors as well um, so we have done a lot of work overseas if it's about exporting goods to overseas we really need to tune those products into those palette preferences and they're different to ours uh, another way we we do is we work with clients from overseas bringing their products here because they recognize that the palette is a little different as well. Um, I think Japan, you, you just mentioned, that's a, a great um, example. We've done uh, some snack work, some beverage work, and some confectionery work over in, in Japan. And yeah, very sensitive um, to any indications of impurity, um, really looking for having all of the basic tastes kind of cover, covered off in a single meal, and really looking for flavours and textures that's about subtlety and, and freshness. And of course, that umami that's really um, kind of distinct there. But in other markets, other interesting things like in, in the Chinese market, we see a, a huge sensitivity to texture there and also the temperature of food. So a real uh, rejection of anything that's too cold, as an example. But in China, it's really interesting. They prefer different levels of sweetness and saltiness or spiciness, really based on the region of China that a consumer is in. Then in, in New Zealand, we, we, we see um, increased sensitivity around aftertaste. In Indonesia, it's all about a balance of sweet and sour. Um, you know, and then obviously in, in other markets, on and on it goes. So um, this is the reason why in some products you might see you know, 12 or, or 15 different iterations of that sold globally. Um, it's quite interesting. When you mentioned doing uh, research for the local market of um, imported um, products, products from other countries, um, are there challenges with that? Um, just thinking about sort of quarantine approvals and that sort of thing. That you know, is how is Colmar placed with re that regard? Well, we're one of the only actually um, kind of facilities that have quarantine. It's a pretty difficult thing to get and it's even more difficult to maintain um, because of all the, the, the surfaces and all of the, the, the paperwork and everything that kind of goes with that. But we are quarantine approved, which is great, which means we can bring products over to be tested even if they haven't been accepted or registered for kind of sale in the Australian market. And then we have ways of obviously we're, we're testing that for research purposes. Um, so yeah, it, it means that we can help our clients from a global perspective very easily. Yeah. Look, Denise, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Fascinating discussion. I hope we can continue the talk in the future. Oh, it'll be amazing. Yes, please, please do. Let's do a, a version two of this. Get your new bite-sized insights every second Tuesday. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Find out more at kantaraustralia.com.